Howdy. One day left working at Harris County. Yes. So wait, one more. I can do it. I can do it. All right. But one of the things with it is that um, I I feel like these last four years, man, it's been four years, has been uh, very educational in a lot of ways. And sometimes it is easy to forget how God is teaching us different lessons in different circumstances. In working with Harris County, the biggest thing that I was trying to, to work on, I feel like in a lot of ways I was able to do so, was to be able to find ways of taking what the community said it needed and translate that into developing housing that is needed to be affordable and accessible to people in the area. As you may have guessed, that is not always very easy in government work. It can oftentimes be more about the red tape and making sure that we cross our T's, dot our I's, rather than did we actually get the job done. And there would be a few times where I got, shall we say, passionate about the way that I felt. And I remember specifically there was, there was this one meeting when I had first changed uh, teams. It was uh, about two, one and a half, two years ago. And in the midst of this particular meeting, we were talking about where funding was going to go in all sorts of different places. And at one point in the meeting, I said, but this is not at all what the community said was its priorities. When are we going to add that into this? And after several times of realizing that no one was listening, finally I just said, we can't do this. This is not what we were told we're supposed to do. And then was uh, told that I needed to take it down a notch. Which is never a very good thing to hear when you're in government work. But within about maybe half a year, one of my superiors in that meeting decided to take another position. And as she was leaving, said, Jason, please, don't lose the passion. Don't lose the drive. And so with that then was realizing, how do I take that drive but make sure that it's more positive with what we're doing? So over the next two months, we ended up having within our team several turnovers. And so in a sense, it gave me a chance to start new, to try to, maybe what would it be like to do my work, but without the people who saw me as, oh, that's that guy who gets way too excited during meetings. And so instead, what I focused on was, how can I be encouraging the people that are around me? How can I take things and try to make it more positive? How can I try to look at ways of saying, how can I spin where we're at as a positive? and started seeing more opportunities to get involved in projects that I hadn't before, being given more freedom, more flexibility to try things, because it developed more of a sense of trust and openness, but also that people saw that I was a part of the team, which was more than anything what they needed to know about their team member. And so I can say that while things have been stressful, I am going to miss my teammates, good people. With that, though, is the reason I point that out is because in many ways what we see in 1 Thessalonians 
it can oftentimes come off almost like, like an HR meeting. You know? Uh, you know, acknowledge your workers, live in peace, uh, make sure that you're not idle, encourage people, help and be patient, don't do what is wrong or unethical. All these things can end up sounding in so many ways like, well, these are just good lessons, you know, something that maybe you get out of an old Berenstain Bears book. Y'all remember Berenstain Bears? Oh, okay, gotcha. I, I know, I know y'all are a lot younger than I am, so I, I get it, but, you know, okay, but I understand. Um, with it, though, is that oftentimes we miss out on how it is that Christ had transformed the way his apostles saw the world, and they were transforming the way that people around them saw it. As much as we might brush over this, we don't do this very well. Whenever we say things like acknowledge workers, do we necessarily acknowledge other people? Do we spend our time pausing at a meeting and making sure, did y'all see what that person over there did, how good that was? Have we made sure that other people knew how cherished and how valuable they are? Even whenever they've stumbled or made a mistake, knowing, hey, you know what, yeah, that happened, but all these other things that you did, how great were those? Or the times whenever it says to live in peace with others, do we? How many times do we find ways to, you know, tell somebody next to us about, yeah, can you believe about so-and-so? Yes, oh my word. I, they just messed everything up, and it's the worst thing ever. Instead of being able to try to find a way of saying, you know what, maybe, maybe there was something good that came out of this, and maybe I can find a way to help them do a better job. To warn the idle, the disruptive. Because sometimes we might go one of two ways with this. We might sometimes just ignore people who aren't getting work done, which I've been in government work, I know happens. But even more than that is that the disruptive side, how many times do we, dis do we warn the people who have been disruptive whenever somebody is making life harder? Do we go to them and say, hey, this is making life harder for people? Or do we sometimes just try to stay back or maybe wonder if they'll finally just get fired? The times whenever people are disheartened and we say, well, that's not really my job. I don't really need to spend my time getting somebody else to be encouraged or to be patient or especially how to defeat evil with good because we're not used to defeating evil with good. We're used to defeating evil with power. We're used to defeating evil with strength. We're used to defeating evil with great machinations in our minds we're not used to somehow that when we do and say the right thing that god has called us to do and say that somehow god might actually use that to stop what is evil that somehow the good that god has promoted is the answer even when we think well but you need to put them in their place with each of these things is that we can oftentimes get caught up in seeing what is going terribly, but miss out on what God can be doing in and around us. It's like those, whenever they have those little, uh, 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 little memes, those little pictures of the glasses half full or the glasses half empty, and they'll say, well, you know, the optimist says the glass is half full, the pessimist says that the glass is half empty, 
and the engineer says, you designed that poorly and gave way too much space. <laughs> Which, near and dear to my heart. But also because it completely changes what you were even looking at in the first place. There's a, there's a Chinese story about a, a farmer. And in that story, it says that there was a man who came up and saw that the farmer had lost his horse. The horse had run out of the stable. And he comes up and he says, oh, what terrible luck that you have. The horse ran away. And the farmer says, maybe, maybe not. Well, then the horse, when it came back, brought in other wild horses with it. And the same neighbor says, oh, man, what great luck. You've got all these other horses now. And the farmer says, maybe, maybe not. And then the son of the farmer trying to break in one of the horses ends up breaking his leg. And the neighbor comes back and is like, oh, what terrible luck. He broke his leg. He's not going to be able to work right now. And the farmer says, well, maybe, maybe not. And then realizing at the time that they were actually uh, mandating young men to come into military service, but because his leg was broken, he couldn't go. And the neighbor says, oh, what good luck. He didn't have to go into the military. And... The farmer says, maybe, maybe not. The, the story itself is originally trying to look at the idea that things are always changing, good, bad, you never really know where it's going to go. But it also emphasizes the point that oftentimes the things that we look at as being really terrible can also oftentimes be the ways that God is trying to create something good. We don't know what it is that God is doing. We don't always see it. We don't always get it. We may have to wait a ridiculously long time. Or we may not even know on this side of heaven. But with that is to be always able to say, have we spent time in prayer acknowledging that God is still at work even in those difficult spots? Because in one way or another, we are always blessed. We, we, we talk about oftentimes uh, you know, stewardship and, and, and oftentimes this is the time of year, especially this particular Sunday, that a lot of churches will do their stewardship Sunday. And like, let's make sure that we did a drive to make sure people are putting you know, money in the offering plate. And one of the things that stands out to me, though, is if we haven't done a good enough job of helping you to understand that you're blessed, and that God is doing work through you, then have we really deserved to even ask for an offering anyway? Because with that is, what we give is meant to be out of the fact that we are blessed. And when we take that for granted, that's when we're usually the less likely to give of ourselves. But more than that, is even asking how is it that God is actually still at work in every circumstance. It says, it, stucks, it talks about testing prophecies. It, it says in here, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. The thing is, is that oftentimes we're more likely to listen to the things that say what we want to hear rather than what we need to hear. Whenever something doesn't quite sound right, sometimes I find it funny whenever we read the gospel 
and the section of the gospel that we have doesn't sound very gospel-y. It's like somehow it's like it ends with people being thrown into a fiery furnace of some sort, and it's just kind of like, and then you say, this is the gospel of our Lord, and you're kind of like, that felt weird. But at the same time, taking the scriptures and looking at how it fits as a whole. And that's the thing about what it's saying is that oftentimes what people say and do, when we listen, are we actually testing it to see is this actually something that would come from God? Is this genuinely something that fits what we know about who God is from Scripture? What it is that we have seen that not only what He has done, who He is, what He has done, but also what He has asked of us. Because that's the thing. Whenever we hear people saying things that sound pretty and beautiful, but then we pause and we say, where would that actually take us? Is this actually somewhere that Christ would want us to go? See, that's one of the things that stands out to us about Jesus coming back from the dead is not only was he pointing to what was going to happen, I know that I'm going to die. But I also know that on the third day, the Son of Man will rise. To be able to say that this is going to happen even when it's for your own self, the power of God. But why was that so important? Because everything that Jesus taught, Everything that Jesus taught was so hard to hear. But it wasn't because it wasn't true. But rather to emphasize, to point out, to show that what he was doing was to fulfill what God had proclaimed. He had to show truly that his prophecy was truly to come. See, when we look at the people that say things and do things, is that we have to pause and say, is this something that we know? would truly come from God. That's kind of hard in our world today, isn't it? How many times that we're waiting for someone to say something that sounds at all like we know to be good and right, and then sometimes we have to pause and say, well, am I waiting for somebody else to do it? Or have I become the one to go and say what is good and true? Because we can take that for granted so often. Whenever um, I was younger, I was uh, I, I grew up in a church that had a lot of memorization verses. If you wanted to go to camp free in the summer, you had to have memorized verses for about three months and, and, and be able to say them in the middle of church. So, you know, imagine confirmands, and, you know, you had to stand up here and say all these verses every week for three months. That was a bit much. But also then pausing and saying, you know, whenever we learn those verses, were we spending so much time making sure that we knew the verse, but did we spend time actually learning about why it was important? And the same thing is uh, with our Apostles' Creed. Uh, when COVID hit, and we're trying our best to try to do everything online, and people are missing because they're ill, or they're not sure what's going on, and it's like, okay... I'm going to spend the time making sure y'all understand it, but I'm just hoping y'all will memorize it on your own because right now i got to pick and choose where to put my emphasis. And right now, the emphasis is not whether you got every word right. Do we 
look at the things that we do as the church. Do we get so caught up in doing something because we're used to it or it feels like a good idea without pausing and saying, but where is this leading us? And that's what we end up seeing about who Christ is in this context. There is a quote from C.S. Lewis. He wrote in his book, Mere Christianity, If I am drowning in a rapid river, a man who still has one foot on the bank may give me a hand, which saves my life. Now, should I shout back in between my gasps? No, it's not fair for you to save me. You have an advantage. You're keeping one foot on the bank. That advantage, call it unfair if you like, is the only reason why he can be of any use to me. To what will you look for help if you will not look to that which is stronger than yourself? Who does Paul point to to sanctify, to change us? He said it has to come back to Christ. We get so caught up in finding out which person around us we admire the most, but we lose track of the fact that none of them are actually the one to save us. That can be hard. But deep down inside, as much as we as Americans like to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, which I still don't know where the strap is on the boot, but I don't know, somewhere in there, is that the only real help that we can actually come, we can actually have, is going back to Christ. So, in the conclusion, it sometimes feels almost like Paul is just adding a couple extra things just to kind of round it out. But listen to these things that come from the end. Where he says, Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Because in conclusion to this letter, pray for others, greet each other with love, read the scriptures, and let the grace of Christ be what reigns over all of us. Because if what it is that we're following after, if you can't genuinely pray that for the other person and feel like God is pleased with that prayer, then why are you praying that in the first place? Because even as you have been given the grace of God, even so that grace is meant for them as well. So as we finish out our time before Advent and going through Thessalonians, this is something that I hope that I can leave with the people that I've worked with at the county, but this is also something I hope to leave with you. Pray for other people. Greet people with love, compassion, Read what is right and good, especially in the scriptures. Because the only thing that can truly guide us is the grace of our Lord. Thanks be to God.